God's story. The third part is we talked about this wonderful moment of, you know, Jesus is born and then the three wise men come and, and they offer him uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I was telling you when I was growing up, I thought it was gold, Frankenstein, and Bill Murray, you know, and I realized that was not true. But what it taught us is that we too, what do you bring a king who has everything? And we can bring to him our worship and our lives and our trust, and we're learning what God is doing in our life. And then today, we're going to look at the next part of the Christmas story. But if we're honest, this is the part of the Christmas story that doesn't really get talked about that much. This is the one that we kind of skip right over because it's full of challenge and full of difficulty. But it's an amazing part of the story that God is writing in all of our lives. And as I was studying this and I was thinking about it, it really reminds me of something that I did recently. And if you've been to Nashville any time in the past, recent, um, recent past, you probably experienced this as well. And that is I needed to take a trip from Bowling Green to Nashville. And I thought, well, that's easy enough, right? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get on I-65 and I'm just gonna go straight on into Nashville, take care of what I gotta do, and I'll come back home. Well, if that's been your journey recently, God bless you. But there is this thing called road work and all these different things that's happening right now. And someone had told me, if you're gonna go to Nashville, pack a lunch. <laughs> it's gonna take a while to get there. And so I decided when I was going that as soon as I got on the road, before I even got close, I was gonna go ahead and turn on my GPS because surely uh, GPS knows how to get there better than I do. Well, as I was headed down that way, maybe this was you guys, I ended up having to turn off an exit I'd never turned off of before. And then all of a sudden, I start making a different, different turns and different trips, and I started to realize that my journey to get from home to Nashville looked a little bit more like that, you know, rather than what I had planned. And at one point, I'm even looking at my GPS because I'm just kind of standing there and waiting. I'm going, surely this is not right. And so I just kind of would, would exit out of it, you know, and come back into it again. Maybe you want to recalibrate. And it's like, no, no, this is the way. But we're literally going north instead of the direction I want to go. So I'd get out of it again, turn it back on. And actually, that is the way that I needed to, to go to get there. And what was even crazier is even though I ended up going through places I didn't even know existed, I actually ended up getting to Nashville at about the same amount of time I thought I needed to get there. It's just that the route to get from point A to point B was very, very different than what I had planned. Well, that's exactly what we're going to find in our text today. Today is, is the moment after the big crescendo moment. Like, you ever watched one of our favorite superhero movies, and like at the end of it, you know, there's this big moment, and at the end of the day, the superhero, you know, he saves like the universe, you know, he saves everything, and you know, he, all the good people win, bad people lose, and then, you know, the, the curtain fall, and we're done. And then when all the music is over with, what actually happens is the credits, like that's it, right? And I've always wondered, what happened the next day? Like, did Iron Man just wear his armor everywhere he went? You know, did, does, does Captain America, did he do that? Like, did he have to go to the grocery store? That kind of thing. Well, that's what we're getting to find out today is what happened after the big moment when the three wise men are there. Like, like this, this great scene at the end of all Christmas plays that happen, then what happens? And what we're going to see is that real life is way messier than a lot of our Christmas place. And it's way messier than our, than our movies, that real life is actually a journey that is full of twists and turns. And sometimes we want to like re recalibrate the GPS. But what we're going to see is even in these turns of life, God is always working for our good. So let's, let's read this story together and see what, what it reveals to us. The Bible said that after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, and stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. But when Herod found out, he was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of when the star had first appeared. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, said the angel. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. And so Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. And then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. And so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. So there's all this different stuff that's happening, and these twists and these turns and all these what seem like unexpected situations. But the idea behind this, if you catch nothing else that we say today, and that is this, if you're taking notes, the big idea of today is because of Jesus, even in the blank, I can always trust that God knows the way. Even in the, don't fill it out, I can always trust that God knows the way. I think I might be lost, but Jesus knows where he's going. Now, I want to wait, and at the end of our message together, I want to give you an opportunity to fill out that blank, because I don't know. I don't know where you may be in your life right now, what might be going on to where you might be saying, like, I trust God in some areas, and I trust that he knows where he's going in some areas, but in this particular area, I'm not sure. And what my hope is, is that your testimony at the end of this service is to say that even in the whatever that area is, I can always trust that God knows the way. I may be lost, but Jesus knows right where he's going. Well, let's kind of you know, look at this again and make sure we, we're all on the same page. The Bible says that at the beginning of this, this journey, that this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. So in, in Matthew, uh, for the second half of Matthew chapter 1, that, that's how the birth narrative of Jesus started. And what we actually know, according to the book of Luke, is that Joseph and Mary were actually from Nazareth. So this was their hometown. And so while they're there and, and, and Mary says, let's do this, and Joseph said, let's do this, and they're ready to be part of, of Jesus, the Messiah, being born, they have to go to Bethlehem because there's a census happening by the Roman government, and they have to go to be counted among, in the census. And so they're probably thinking, I'm going to go over to Bethlehem and then just come on back home. And, and if we read the story, if we read it really quickly, the end of this whole thing says that so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So they did eventually get back home. They started, and then they went, and then they came on back. 70-mile trip. That's, that's like basically from here to Bridgestone Arena. So, so that's not that far of a trip. And so they were thinking, yeah, I'm surely that's what's going to happen. And maybe many of us in our lives, that's kind of how it's worked for us. We give our lives to Christ. Man, God's going to do something amazing in my life. I'll be there by next weekend, and then uh, I'll be done. But how many knows that's not quite what happens? 
They, they go to Bethlehem, things are going well, and then all of a sudden things don't go so well, and they have to make a U-turn, uh, excuse me, a detour all the way down to Egypt. That's 300 miles away. That's, that's almost as far as it is to the beach from here. So you were going to go to Bridgestone Arena, you end up down in Gulf Shores. That's a detour, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. And then after they get down there, they stay there for a while, and they're wanting to come back, but because of what happened in Bethlehem, they can't stay in Judea, so now they got to find somewhere else to go. And then finally, they end up back where they wanted to be in Nazareth. And I don't know about you, but if you just step back and look at that, that's a mess. <laughs> that is like chaos. That's at some point when you're looking at the map and going, I... Like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but um, you may have that thing upside down or something because this in no way does it look like we're going where we're supposed to be going. This, this is not the quickest way, God, to get to all my hopes and dreams being fulfilled. Well, I don't know if you know this yet, but I've learned in my life, God rarely takes shortcuts. God rarely takes the quickest way to get anywhere. As a matter of fact, the longer I have been a Christ follower, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> That actually what doesn't make sense is going straight there and straight back because there's so many things that happen in the in-between time that God is doing in my life. And so for me, I've just had to learn to understand that's exactly what God's plan looks like in my life because there's all these other things that's going on. But what I love about this story is that in every time there was a detour from maybe the plan that they had, the Bible said that even in the middle of that thing, whatever it was, God was still fulfilling his promises in the life of the baby Jesus and what Jesus was going to do uh, later on in life. And what brings me so much hope is that even in the, the Egypt and the Judea and the Nazareth moments of my life, not only is God not lost, but even in those situations, he uses those things to fulfill his promises in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you these, these different places that Jesus had to go and then the promises that God was fulfilling in his life and that maybe that will bring you hope that even in whatever situation you're going through, God's not lost. You may have thought that he should have taken a left turn and he actually took a right turn or maybe we should turn back and go home. But let me tell you, God has not lost you. That even in these moments, not only has he not lost you, but he's actually working out his promises in your life. And so even in, whatever it is, God knows the way. Let's look at these three places that Jesus ended up and see if maybe one of those is the one that maybe you're going through right now. The first place Jesus had to go to was Egypt. And what that tells us is that when it seems like God made a wrong turn, never doubt in the detours of life that God knows the way. Never doubt in the detours of life that God knows the way. I'm so thankful that God's word is strong enough and cares enough about us, not to just speak about the high moments of life, but to speak about the detours, to speak about the deepest places, because I think I might be lost, but Jesus knows the way. The Bible said that when they were in Bethlehem, just a 70-mile trip, that they had to go all the way down to Egypt, which was 300 miles away, in order to get away from what was going on. It was a detour that they hadn't expected. 
And so if you look at that, if you think about this detour, you think, well, 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 bless their heart, man. What a terrible situation. It must have been horrible. It must have been terrible because we just, we think about uh, Egypt from the, the terms of, you know, Exodus and, and all the bad things. And yeah, there were bad things there. But actually, it was in this detour that God did his greatest work because if you look at the, uh, the history of the time, outside of Judea, which is where they were, the biggest Jewish settlement was in Alexandria, Egypt. And so really, they weren't, they weren't going to a terrible place. They were actually going to a place that was going to be very, very helpful for them because they were outside of Judea. They knew about the horrible situations of Herod and all of this. And so instead of it being a terrible place, Egypt was actually going to be a wonderful place for them to have protection, for them to have understanding of what's going on, and to be protected during a season when Herod was out to destroy baby Jesus. Is it possible that sometimes the detours in our life are not there to destroy us, but there's actually a whole lot more value than we can possibly imagine if we just allow ourselves into this detour and realize that God is doing something amazing? As a matter of fact, the Bible even says that the prophecy that, that uh, God's word says was being fulfilled in this was actually from Hosea 11 when it said, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. This speaks to me so much because many times it's in the detours of life where God works on our identity in him. It's in those moments where I realize what it is to be a child of God because it's in the detours of life where I begin to understand what it is to trust God, what it is to know him, what it is to trust him and to see how loved I am by him and understanding my identity. And many times my identity in Christ, I don't really learn it when I win. When things are going well, I learn when things are going bad and God is still faithful in those moments. And what God's word is teaching us is that even when he went to Egypt, God is actually moving even in the detours. Well, what is the promise that you and I could hold on to? If we're in a detour in our life, whatever that means, what is that? Well, there's a wonderful promise in Romans chapter 5 that says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. We could say detours. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the greatest things I can tell you, if you're experiencing like a detour season in your life, and this is gonna sound very counterintuitive, but the truth of it is, is that detours reminds us of God's love. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's supposed to be all of our great moments, right? It's, it's when you do get the job you were looking for, when, when things do go really, really well, when all, that should be a reminder of God's love. And yes, it can be. But the truth of it is, is when you step back and you look, it's actually sometimes the detours that remind us of God's love. And the reason why is because the problems that we have, they lead us to learning endurance. The endurance we have leads us to learning character. The character we have leads to confident hope, and then that confident hope reminds us of God's love. In other words, God is in a process in your life, and many times you can't learn God's love until you see how faithful he truly is. It kind of works like this. Someone had told me this story not long ago. They said that they had been really praying that God would give them this new job. It was an opportunity for them to make more money for their family and all of this, and this is really what they were after. Like This was, this was the career path trajectory for their life. Well, when the time came for them to get that job, instead they got this one over here, 
which was not what they wanted. It was the exact opposite of what they wanted, and it was a, a detour, literally a, like a, a detour on the career path they had for themselves. And I, I'm not going to tell you who this is, but this guy was like, I was just about ready to quit. He said, I was pitching a fit. It was horrible, but I still had to go to work. Like, I was, I was really saying, God, I sure wish you had been faithful, but since you hadn't, here I go, right? And he's like, I'm just being honest. That's what it was. And he said, I decided I was just going to go work there. And he said, when I, I had that job, I, it led me to learn endurance. He said, I got in that job and I realized that just going to work every day, there was just a simple, honest, just joy and just, just doing what I'd been given to do. And he said, actually what started to happen is as I started just to be faithful with what God had given me, I started to realize that I still didn't like this job, but I realized that my life was bigger than this job. That actually, this job was just a means to provide for my family. So it actually helped me to focus more on my family. And then I started to learn new, new character traits and new, new skills that I didn't even know that I needed. And, and really what it did is it helped me develop my character a whole lot more. And I still didn't like it, but I was developing my character. And as I started to develop my character more, I started to see my life as so much bigger than just this job. And man, it just helped me realize that God really is, he really is faithful, and I really can't have hope in him. And the more I started to find my hope in him, it actually reminded me how much God loves me. And he said, the next time I had a chance at a promotion, I didn't take it because of what God had done in my life and what was a horrible thing and I thought was a detour in my life actually turned out to be a blessing because I got to see that even when God chooses to not do it my way, he still loves me and he's still taking care of me and he's still doing amazing things in my life. And I don't know where you may find yourself in your life, but maybe the truth is, is God cares way more about our character than our comfort. God cares about you, but he cares more about you than even we do. So we just want the good things, but God knows you can't handle the good things until you also learn how to stand under the good things. And so before I can bless you, I've got to teach you how to handle that blessing because I need you to have the character to be able to handle what I want to do in your life. And so sometimes because of God's goodness, he's not going to immediately give you what you want. Instead, he's going to detour you to a place where you can learn your identity in him, where you can learn where the source of your hope comes from, where you can understand what's going on and develop that character because that's what you need to sustain it. It reminds me of, you know, I've got one of my daughters who is uh, 15 and in Alabama in 15, you can get your learner's permit. Can I tell you how happy I am that I live in Kentucky <laughs> where, um, where she can't get her driver's learner's permit until next year, right? And, and I was talking to her about this, and I don't really know the whole process now, but back in the day when I turned 15 and it was time for me to uh, go drive, my dad took me out on one driving lesson and promised to never, ever do that again. <laughs> After that, he said, this, this boy needs some education, and so I had to go to driver's ed. I had to read these books on it and all this kind of stuff. And then after that, I was able to take my learner's permit test. And then after that, then, of course, it was only supervised drives and all this kind of stuff until finally at 16, I was able to take my driver's license test. Now, that was a long journey between me saying, hey, Dad, let's go for a drive, and then me being able to drive. Now, if my dad was concerned with just making me happy and making all of my wildest dreams come true, then as soon as I said, Dad, let's go for a drive, he would have handed me my keys or his keys and just hope for the best. But now would that have been the most loving thing to do for me? Absolutely not. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I didn't have a clue how to do that. But instead, you want to learn how to drive? You want to have that? That's wonderful. Now let me start to teach you what it means to drive so that when you get what you want, you know how to handle it. 
Is it possible that sometimes in our life, God will not stop detours from happening because there's some important things that we need to learn so that when he takes us to where we actually do want to be, we know how to handle what he's trying to do in our life. And so maybe the detour is not God losing his way. Maybe he's actually answering the prayer you've been asking for. He's just answering it in a longer roundabout way because he knows you need it. And so the the hope for you is, is that if you're in a detour of life, if you're in a relationship situation that you'd rather not be in or maybe your kids are going through a difficult season or the job situation hasn't worked out for you, maybe instead of wondering why God hasn't been faithful or instead of wondering if maybe God took the wrong turn, if you were like me and you're on the way to Nashville and you keep on kind of exiting out of the GPS and kind of coming back into it and saying, God, I got this. But I'm coming, okay, God, you got this. And then I got, you know, I've been there. But instead of, of wondering, instead of that, realize that even in the detours, God knows the way. He knows exactly what he put in your heart to begin with. And so instead of wondering, God, why, why am I here? Instead, maybe we say, God, what is it you want me to learn so that I can get to the next place? So even in the detours, God knows the way. The Bible said that after they went to Egypt, they stayed there. We don't really know how long they stayed there. But after they were getting ready to go back again, they wanted to go back to Bethlehem. Well, we realize that Bethlehem for us might help us understand that when it seems like God made a wrong turn, Bethlehem teaches us to never doubt in the pain of life that God knows the way. Never doubt in the pain of life that God knows the way. Can I tell you one of the things I respect the most about the Bible is scriptures like this? Because wouldn't it have been so very easy just to skip over this situation. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe there's only a couple places that even allude to this outside of the Bible. So it would have been so easy for God to not have included this, and no one would have ever known how horrible Herod actually was and what he tried to do. But because God's word is true, and it is there for us and to help us even in the most difficult places, the Bible said that when they wanted to go back up, they had heard about what Herod had done and what this horrible situation was in order to try to stop what God was trying to do. Now, if you don't remember, the the Bible said that after Herod learned that the wise men had deceived him, that he sent out his soldiers to find every little boy from two years old and under in the Bethlehem area and to kill them, hoping to also kill Jesus. Now, to 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 understand that, this is not thousands and thousands of little boys. It's probably between the number 15 and 20, and that's still 15 to 20 too many, right? But that's about how many were probably slaughtered because of this bad person doing a terrible thing. And in this moment, we see this horrible situation that's happening. But even in this terrible moment, we still see that God is working out something good in the most horrible of situations. But it can be so very deceptive because it said that it fulfilled this scripture in Jeremiah 31. It says, this is what the Lord says. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Now, that doesn't actually speak directly of Bethlehem. The, that, that phrase, Rama, actually what would happen is this was after the Babylonians had taken over uh, the nation. And what they would do in order to keep the nations from rising against them is they would take all of the young men who were of age and fighting age, and they would ship them off to a staging area, a town called Rama. And it was in Ramah, they would disperse them among the empire. That way, no single nation could ever rise up and try to overthrow them. And so what this is talking about is how all the young men were taken away and then dispersed so you could never find them again. 
And this also speaks of Rachel because Rachel was married to Jacob. You had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was Jacob's wife, and she was buried right there close to Bethlehem. And so even though Bethlehem is known to us as the house of David, that actually what this was also for the people at the time is it was a place of mourning and sadness as they remembered that this patriarchal mother had died and was buried there in Bethlehem. And so it was this this horrible moment of how weeping was in Bethlehem. Well, how in the world can that be a promise? Because that's not the only thing that God, uh, the God's word actually says. Right before that, it says, even in this terrible moment, in that day, in what day? In the, in the day of the worst thing happening, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land. For I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, and you will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Everything other than a tambourine is awesome in that scripture, right? It's this idea. And and notice what's amazing is this was said before the scripture that Matthew quoted. So he's saying, even before the worst thing happens, know that I'm already with you, that I'm already there, that even when those bad things happen and when the worst thing happens, know that I am there and I am with you and I am for you in every place. And can I tell you recently, I don't know why this is, but God has brought so many people into my life who've been grappling with this idea of where is God when evil things happens? Where is God in pain? Where is God when the innocent suffer? And I want to tell you that I don't, I don't want to get in here and, and try to give you some quick little answer to make it all go away and never have to worry about it again. But it is important that as a Christ follower that you grapple with these things. You grapple with the idea of level one, why does evil even exist? Level two, why do the innocent suffer? Level three, why do I experience pain? Because the, the, the problem is a lot of times is if we're not careful is when we're, when we're a child, we embrace who Jesus is and we embrace our faith in God. But as we grow, our faith doesn't grow with it. And so then when we have a, a big situation that happens in our life, we're not equipped to understand the bigger things that happen in our life. And so then we're utterly um, unable to handle and to process the things that happen. And so I don't, I don't want to disrespect your experience by just giving you one quick statement and letting it go. But I do offer doorways into this. You know, maybe if you're part of one of our RLC life groups, maybe this week, this, this could be one of your main topics that you talk about is how do you process the evil that's in the world? How do you process innocent people suffering? How do you process your pain in your life? And, and once again, I, I've blogged so much about this recently because it's just been on my heart. But just to give you a couple of doorways into the conversation, why, why, do evil, why does evil exist? Maybe it has to do with the freedom to choose and then the consequences, the curse of sin. The Bible said all the way back in the Garden of Eden that it was all these different thing, trees that you could eat of, but then God didn't want to create a bunch of robots. He wanted us to have choice. And so he said, you can eat of all these trees, just not this one. And man, I hope you choose the right one. But then Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. And when he, they sinned against God, they turned the world upside down. And now sin entered into the world. And so why does evil exist? Because of sin. And I heard someone say this one time. They said, man, I sure wish God would remove all evil from the world. And the other person said, well, that's great, but who do you think he should start with, me or you? <laughs> because we, we've all done evil in our life. But thank goodness for the grace of God. But then how about this one? This one's harder because evil in the world, okay, 
well, what about the innocent people in the world? Well, once again, I just offer a doorway into the idea of maybe that's because of the byproduct of sin. Hurting people hurt people. Broken people do broken things because of broken places in their life. Does that make it fair? Absolutely not. But maybe that's a doorway into the idea that, that maybe suffering exists because of the curse and the byproduct of sin in our lives. Well, then let's get down to kind of zoom all the way in. But what about me? What about when I experience pain? Well, maybe it's because of my sin. Maybe it's because of the sins of others. Maybe it's because of the curse of sin. Or maybe it's just a mystery. Maybe we don't know on this side of heaven, which is why it's such a miracle to, to know that we have eternity in Christ. Therefore, we know that in the end and in eternity, all things are just. And all things become uh, just to, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But to realize that there is a way to process through this. And what I love about this the most is that we have a Savior who understands. When you really think about it, the idea of, of why, is there, why does evil exist? Because of sin. Why, why do the innocent suffer? Because of sin. And then why do we experience pain? Maybe it's because of sin. And so then that's why Jesus came on a rescue mission, was so he could step into space and time and deal with all of the sin. And so then why, Jesus? How did you come and do all of this? He went and he died on the cross. Where is the king of kings? He's dying on a cross. Why, Jesus, would you do that? Why, why, would, why would the king have to come and die? Well, maybe it's because the Bible says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, and he was despised, and we did not care. Yet in our weaknesses, he carried all of our sorrows that, weigh, that actually weighed him down. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. Where is the king of kings? He is on a cross for all of our sin and all of our pain. And what I love the most about Jesus is that Jesus, far from being removed from all of our suffering, he stepped into it. And he shared our suffering so that when we come to him with our grief and with our pain, he understands how amazing it is that when we go and tell him about anything, the Bible said that he was, he was tempted and tested at all points, yet without sin. Therefore, whatever we come to him with, he says, oh, I get it, because he stepped into that with us. And whereas I don't in any way want to say what you've been through, it's just so easy to explain. What I do absolutely know is that God is able to bring beauty, something beautiful from the darkest ashes. God is able to do something amazing through horrible messes. It's this wonderful moment when, you know, maybe if you, you might not have even known about this story, about this horrible thing that Herod did. And, and maybe, maybe, you didn't even, maybe you didn't know that in the first century, Bethlehem was mainly known as the burial place for Rachel. And you know why? Because all we remember about Bethlehem is it was the birthplace of a Savior. And it's amazing that God can take something horrible. And so do something amazing in, through, through what he does that what we remember in the end is God's faithfulness and what he can do. What was once known as a place of death is now known as a place where birth and life is now possible. And what I've seen in my life is that God has the ability to take even the darkest and worst things and walk with us through it and do something beautiful through it. And so I don't know in here if maybe you're going through a difficult season in your life and whatever that is, maybe it feels like a detour. Maybe it feels like God's kind of got lost along the way and you just want to kind of exit out and kind of come back into it and see what's going on. Can I tell you that even in the detours, God knows the way. He hasn't lost you. He hasn't made a wrong turn. He knows the way. Maybe if you're in here and you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with loss, 
The loss of a relationship, the loss of, of something horrible. Maybe it's, it's the loss of your health or the loss of finances, the loss of what, whatever it is, whatever that pain is. Can I tell you that even in the darkest pain, God knows the way. He knows how to lead you. And the Bible says that though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you walk close beside me. That far from being removed from our pain, Jesus has stepped into our suffering so that he understands. And so even in the detour, Jesus knows the way. Even in the, the pain, he knows the way. Then here's the last one. The Bible said that they, they wanted to go to Judea, but they end up back in Nazareth. And what we can learn from that is when it seems like God made a wrong turn, never doubt in the hidden seasons of life that God knows the way. Never doubt in the hidden seasons of life that God knows the way. So we can see like this, this grand mess <laughs> of things going on. That they go to Bethlehem, they got to go back to Egypt. And then they're going to go back this way, but they hear about you know, what Herod had done. And then they realize that his son, Archelaus, is there. And he was even worse than Herod. He only lasted 10 years and Rome got rid of him because he was worse. And so like, we can't go there. And so they end up back in Nazareth. And the Bible actually doesn't speak about Nazareth directly, but it, it alludes to Nazareth. And this was the, the scripture. The Bible actually says that out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch. And that, uh, the Hebrew word is Nazare, which is where we get the word Nazareth. So it said out of, out of this, is this is where I'm going to bear fruit from an old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might. So it's like in this place, God is going to start building something that out of an area you thought was dead. And what that speaks to me so much is because Nazareth was like in a northern place in this rural area that was known for nothing good. The Jewish people hated Nazareth. It was a small rural community of about 500 people. And depending on if they liked you or not, being a Nazarene was either a good thing or a bad thing. Like all through Jesus' life, they would call him Jesus of Nazareth. And if they, liked, if, if they liked him, it was good. If not, it was bad. In other words, like I'm from the South, right? And if people are like, oh, man, you're just a country boy, that's supposed to be a good thing. I say, oh, you must be a redneck. That's not a good thing, all right? And, and so it's like depending on whether they like you or not, being a Southerner is either good or bad, right? That's the same thing when it comes to Nazareth. They were like, oh, he's, 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 he's from Nazareth. Oh, or oh, depending on whether they liked you or not. And, and here's the thing is he goes to Nazareth, this small rural community, and then nothing. We don't hear from him again for another 20 years other than one small little event in the book of Luke. He's, he's done. And then at 30 years of age, he comes back on the scene. And what this speaks to me so much about is I've come in contact with so many people, and if I'm honest with you, I'm the same way. And that is that when I first gave my life to Christ, I was so excited. Man, this is going to be great. Man, God's going to use me to change the world. It's going to be awesome. By next weekend, everything's going to be, it's just going to be great. And it's just like, okay, let's do this. Let's start learning what it is to be a Christian. And then keep going. Well, then what? Keep going. What? And, and, and now what? Keep, keep, keep going. I've seen this happen when people get married. They're like, man, I can't wait to get married. It's going to be awesome. They plan these beautiful weddings, and they're like just, just thousands of dollars for 15 minutes, okay? And that's just the way it goes. That's what you do, right? And you get married, and it's awesome. They go on their honeymoon. It's awesome. And then they get back, and then I end up talking to them about three months in, and they go, Pastor, now what? Stay married best you can. Just keep, keep going. Well, yeah, and then what? Have some kids, but just, 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 just keep going for another 40, 50 years, and then you die. I mean, that's, that's hopefully how it's going to go for you. And they go, I thought there was more to it. There is. 
there's, there's, there's just keep on going. And I cannot, I love this because I was this person. When we had our first daughter, I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to have a baby and she's going to be awesome. She's going to be all of this, that, and the other. And then, and then it was like to have a baby and then you want to take them back as soon as possible. <laughs> like, this is not what I thought. I thought I was going to have, like literally in my mind, I thought I was, we were going to have a baby and by the next weekend she was going to graduate from high school and I'd just be proud of her as she went on about her way, right? I didn't realize that after the first year, you've just gotten started. And some of y'all are hurting my feelings because some of y'all are saying your kids are in their late 20s and you still feel like you're just getting started. I need you to stop saying that in Jesus' name because I'm hoping my kids move out at some point, right? But to realize that, that this thing that God's doing in your life is going to take a lifetime to do. And what I've noticed in my life is that I get so weary in just being faithful. It's like God gave me what I wanted only for me to realize that if I try to find my value in stuff and things, I'm never going to be satisfied because that, that boundary marker is always going to change. Instead, I, gotta find, I have to find the joy and the simplicity of just knowing God and just moving forward. But to realize that for some of us, we don't want to admit it. We want to act like this isn't us. And so just look at me. Don't, don't look at anybody else right now. But, but to realize that sometimes we just get weary of God just being faithful. We, we want something massive. We want something big because we feel like our life requires it. When actually God does his best work when nobody else is looking. God does the greatest things. The reason why Jesus was ready at age 30 is because of Nazareth for 20 years. Because it was there that he started to bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord started to rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might. Where do you, I mean, that, that's where he was developing all these things that, that he was going to be doing was in invisible places. And just because you think nobody else sees you doesn't mean that God's not looking right at you. And you're praying for God to get you in a different season. He's going, but this one's working so well. Because this is the place where you're having to realize that all of your joy doesn't come out of success. It comes out of what I'm doing in your life. And to realize that a lifetime of faithfulness takes a lifetime. And so maybe in some of these areas of our life, maybe it's time we stop asking God, why did you put me here? And instead start asking God, what is it you're trying to teach me here? Because I realize that you haven't lost me. I realize that in the detour, it was a detour for me, but you're able to do it. I realize in the pain that you're able to, to make something beautiful out of these horrible ashes. And I realize that, that I may be hidden to everybody else, but I'm not hidden to you. So instead, God, I'm going to stop asking, why would you do this to me? Why would a loving God do this to me? And instead, I'm just going to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What is it I'm supposed to learn here? Because if you're faithful and you are, then I know that you're still working even when I can't see it. And what I've learned in my life, God does the most work on days that you don't see. It's on the difficult moments. It's on the places when nobody else knows. It's, it's in the quiet moments that God cultivates more of his presence in my life. And so if you're in a hidden season right now, you may be in the very best place for what God wants to do in you. And to realize that God is always working. And even though I may seem lost, God knows where he is. And so here's my, my final encouragement for you today, and that is this, and that is that God's word says in Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, and pause, God who began a good work within you. Can I tell you what God is doing in your life is a good work? Romans 8.28, all things work together to the good of those who love him, and are called according to his purpose. 
Now, if you're in here and you're not letting Jesus be the Lord of your life, you're not letting him call the shots in your life, that's what he's inviting you into today. He's inviting you into that good work. And so in just a moment, the band is gonna lead us in a worship song and inside your worship, God, is a connect card and on the back of it, there's a prayer right there that you can pray. And if you believe that prayer, and it's not just words on a page, but it is coming from your heart, and you pray that prayer, and you, you mean it, you can become part of that good work that he wants to do in your life. And in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity. Today might be your spiritual birthday. You say, well, I've been trying to drive. I've been trying to get to Nashville for a long, long time, and I ain't got there yet. Why not let Jesus do his good work in your life? But if you're in here and you've been a Christian, You've been a Christ follower for a while. Can I tell you what God's doing is a good work? But that good work that he does, it takes time. And what I wish would be from Nazareth to Bethlehem and back again, that would be so great. But God never takes shortcuts. In your life, there's going to be Egypt moments. There's going to be detours. And because God loves you, He's going to use them to do great things. In your life, there's going to be pain. There's going to be broken people that do broken things because they come from broken places. And then sometimes it's going to be things that we have done in ourselves, and then we have to, to live out the consequences of our, of our brokenness. And there's just no matter where it comes from, it all hurts. It's going to be pain. What I love about Jesus is that he didn't skip that part. He didn't say, you guys go ahead, but he entered into it. In all of history, historians say the worst form of capital punishment ever invented by man was crucifixion. Jesus could have been born at any time in history, but he chose the time when it would hurt the worst. And I wonder if maybe part of that was so that no matter what you go through, he could say, I understand. And far from judging you as weak, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. There'll be pain, but there's also a Savior who walks with you through every dark place. And then, and then maybe you realize that there's gonna be hidden seasons, but to know that in the hidden seasons is usually when he does his greatest work. God has begun a good work in you. Don't stop driving along the way. Keep going and trust God to steer you in the right direction. Because what God is wanting to do in your life is going to take a lifetime. And it reminds me of this, I stumbled upon this, this article of this, this artist who wanted to try a new technique called um, time-sensitive uh, time, time artistry. And it was this very interesting idea. And what she did is she started off with what I would have thought would have been a masterpiece. That's, that's like the best I would ever, ever, ever do right there. But that was her starting point. You can tell, see there's still part of her canvas right here. And she's, whatever. And then she waited for about three months. And then she went back and she just kind of experienced life, just kind of went through life and whatever was going on in her life. And she said, you know what, there's just different things. And then she went back and she took whatever she was feeling in the moment and she added to it and she came up with that right there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And she, out of it, she was talking about some different things that had gone on in her life and how it really just kind of, the impression was to do it like that. But then after that, she went through some difficult seasons and she, she lost some, some people and it was all this. And so she wanted to paint depth into the painting. And so she went and she painted it like that. 
and she added some different flowers here to give it, give it depth, and she added some texture to the back just as, as her life was developing, she was painting. And then finally was the last part, and it took her a year, and it was called Light Sensitivity. And what she did for a solid year is she went and she put this painting out in the sunlight every, every day for a year, unless it was raining. And she did it so that the sun could just infuse on the painting and it faded some of the darker colors and it fused in some of the lighter colors and it blend things together and 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 the article it said that her husband would come back are you done yet are you done she's like no 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 i got to do it for a solid year and when it was done she came up with this it was this beautiful work of art that showed both artistry and depth and light and then it was ready if you can see right at the bottom for her signature the masterpiece was complete can I tell you that I know for certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. And the masterpiece that God is making in your heart is going to take time. There's going to be detours in your life. There's going to be pain in your life. And there's going to be hidden seasons. But even in those moments, God knows the way. And the master artist uses everything to complete his work of art. And on that day, when you step out of this world and into the world to come, he's going to put his signature on your heart and say, this is the masterpiece that I created. Your job is not to figure everything out. Your job is to stay on the easel and let him continue to paint what he's doing in your life. Even if he uses the brush of detour, even if he uses the pain of pain, and even if he just sets you in a hidden place, he's still working. He's still working. And I would encourage you, just don't get off the easel. Just stay and let the King of Kings paint his masterpiece on your soul. Let's pray together today. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you see us and you know us in this place. Thank you, God, that in this moment, there's any number of things that's going on in this place, any number of environments people are in. Maybe there's some people in here, they feel like they're in a detour. Things don't seem to be working out in their life. This is not what they had planned. Others, God, they're grappling with deep pain and loss. Maybe there's others that, God, they're just, they're just so tired of the unknown, the unseen. Well, they feel like they're screaming out in the dark and no one can hear them. I pray that in this moment, Holy Spirit, you'll remind us that you are mindful of us, that you see us, and you know us, that you are for us. While everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to encourage you that if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, God wants to begin a good work in you. I think he's already started that work because he brought you into this place so you could hear somebody else tell you that God's not mad at you. He's not offended by you. He's in love with you. And in just a moment, when the band leads us in this worship song, I want to encourage you to step out of wherever you are, come up here, bring that connect card with you and do business with the Lord. Give your heart to him. Let him begin that good work in you. For others of you in here, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're just going through a detour. Things aren't working out the way you thought they would. Maybe you're going through some deep pain and the, the fog of the pain is so thick in your mind, you just have trouble seeing your way straight. Or, or maybe, maybe you just feel just hidden. Nobody sees, nobody notices. 
In just a moment, the band leads us in a worship song. Can I just encourage you to give that to the Lord today? God, I choose to trust you in the things I don't understand. I choose to trust you in the pain I can't express. And I choose to trust you in the hidden moments. I trust that you know the way. In just a moment, let's bring that to him. I want to pray for you one more time. God, we are about to give you everything in us. God, we're not going to hold anything back. For some of us, God, we're going we're gonna to meet you. We're going to give you our lives. Today is going to be our spiritual birthday. For others of us, God, we're about to open our heart and let you in in fresh ways. We're going to let you into the dark places of our life. And we know, God, that there is no better place to be than in the arms of a God like you that loves us. And so as we worship you, Holy Spirit, we just give you permission. Whatever you reveal is what you intend to heal. And we trust you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the house this morning? The band is going to lead us in a worship song. What do you need to do to connect with the Lord? Do you just want to come down here and just make a place and just kind of just symbolically stepping out of the situation you're in and into God's presence? Maybe you want to come give your heart to Christ. Maybe you would like for someone to pray with you. We're going to have prayer teams standing in the back. Autumn and I will be standing over here. Whatever you need to do to connect with the Lord. Let's do business with Jesus today.